0: Hey, everybody. This is Laura from Curiosity. I just want to make sure you guys all know that our episodes come out the second Thursday of every month. And I know that some of you are listening to this on our website. So I'll just say, if you'd like to subscribe to Curiosity, you just need a podcast app so you can download one if you don't already have one. Open it up, search for Curiosity, which is spelled C-U-R-I-O-S-I-D. And when you find it, Click follow or subscribe, and then you'll always know when a new episode has come out. All right, let's get to the show. In 1993, John Hertel was called on to manage the Michigan State Fair.
1: So here I was running the fair, and one of the big problems at the fair was all of the history of America's oldest state fair was missing. And one day early on, somebody brought this little tin box that you used to keep addresses in that was rusty and filled with old cards to my office and I said uh, just set it over there, we were busy with bigger things and I can remember it sat there for weeks if not months and finally one day when it was raining and there wasn't much you could do at the fairgrounds, I went over and opened the box and started going through the cards and one of the old cards had on it Just the words in pencil, the stove, along with a phone number.
0: (laughs) John called the number, and a woman answered. She told him he had reached the Detroit Historical Museum's warehouse.
1: And I said, well, do you have the giant stove there? And she said, well, unfortunately we do, but it's in piles of rubble. I had eight trucks pickup trucks pick up the pieces and we took them to a empty building on the fairgrounds we literally took all these pieces that were made out of wood that had been carved in the 1890s and laid them out on the floor of this building and then i began to research the history of the stove
0: i'm laura herberg and this is Curiosity, where listeners ask questions about Detroit and the region. In this episode, we've received a question about the stove that John Hertel is talking about. Here's listener Cindy Thomas. Cindy Thomas,
2: Well, I just recently found out that we, at one time, were the stove capital of the world, and that I think we had, like, the world's biggest stove
0: stashed somewhere. Um, and this is a part of our history I'd never, ever heard about. Prompted by Cindy, in this episode of Curiosity, we are bringing you the tale of the world's largest stove. It's a piece that I originally produced back in 2016, so Laura from eight years ago, take it away. To understand the story of this stove, we have to first learn a little bit about the rise of this culinary technology. Up until the Civil War, most people were cooking dinner in the fireplace.
2: And what happened was um, the fireplace was very inefficient.
0: This is Bill Loomis, a Detroit-based history writer.
2: All the heat went up the chimney, and they were also very messy and hard to cook on, and there was limited things you could do. So um, the stove came about as a replacement for that.
0: And everybody wanted one.
2: Those were really the very first durable goods, got to have a thing for the house.
0: In other words, stoves, were a hot commodity, which was good for Michigan because the state was especially equipped for their production. At the time, stoves were built by
2: taking molten iron out of a furnace and pouring it into a mold and sand. That was then cooled and became a part of a, you know, a box of the stove.
0: Michigan had iron ore deposits up north and access to coal, which it used to melt the iron, in the south. The state quickly became a hotbed for the industry. Some people don't realize that before cars, Detroit was really known for making stoves. One of the manufacturers was the Michigan Stove Company, which produced the Garland brand. The company wanted to show off their products at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. In order to stand out, they decided to construct the world's largest stove. It stood 25 feet high and was as long and wide as most studio apartments today. The stove weighed 15 tons and was shaped more like an old-fashioned carriage than the silhouette of a modern stove. It sported a garland label and included decorative embellishments that were common to stoves at the time. But this particular model was constructed out of what may seem like an unlikely material for a stove. It was made of wood.
2: The stove companies had lots of wood carvers who would carve molds or they would carve models of the stove so the company management could look at the stove to see if they wanted to actually cast it and go, go into production with it.
0: So what the Michigan Stove Company displayed wasn't really the world's largest stove, more like the world's largest replica of a stove. But the way it was painted, it looked like the real thing. It actually looked like it was made of metal. After the expo, the stove was displayed in Detroit. In the 1950s, it stood next to the entrance of the Belle Isle Bridge. And it was here that the stove encountered its first potential end. Jack Schaefer Jr. was a kid living in Gross Point in the 1950s. And he remembers the day that he and his dad drove past the giant garland stove and noticed something was up.
2: We
3: saw workers dismantling the stove. So my dad pulled in there and talked to the foreman and said, would you please stop? Uh, I would like to go talk to your boss and buy the stove. And he went in and uh, they cut a deal of some kind.
0: Jack Schaefer Sr. was a businessman. He owned Schaefer bakeries and saw an opportunity. He ended up using the world's largest stove as a kind of billboard for his company. For a while, it worked, and it boosted bread sales. The company got so big that...
3: They built what, what I understood to be the world's largest oven.
0: Jack Schaefer Jr. remembers an oven in Lansing that could bake 4,500 loaves of bread at once. Now, I'm not sure that was actually the world's largest, but that is a pretty big oven. And I just love the idea of someone potentially owning the world's largest working oven, as well as the world's largest replica of a stove. In 1964, Schaefer Bakeries was bought out by the Perfection Biscuit Company, which is now Aunt Millie's. And shortly thereafter, the stove was moved to the Michigan State Fairgrounds.
4: So sometimes they tell the story. It got to the state fair in 1965, but there's no story of how it got there. I guess the story needs to be told. So I guess that's what we're doing today.
0: (laughs) This is Kathy Richards, wife of Royce Richards, who was president of the Don Cartage Moving Company. They specialized in transporting extremely heavy objects. And they were asked if they would be willing to help move the stove from where it stood on Jefferson Avenue to 10 miles away at the state fairgrounds, pro bono. The lack of payment wasn't an issue, but Royce wanted to make sure that this was something his company could actually pull off. What was going through your head when you were trying to figure out how to actually move this thing?
3: Don't break it. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought.
0: Moving an intact giant wooden replica of a stove might be a bigger task than you realize. Not only was the solid wood structure incredibly heavy, but it was tall. Too tall for viaducts and too tall for a lot of the power lines. So Royce's company, with help from his union and local utility companies, developed a plan. To get from the Belle Isle Bridge to 8 Mile and Woodward, they would need to follow a windy 25-mile route that avoided the trouble spots. They planned to leave at 4 a.m. on a Saturday so as not to disrupt traffic, and as Royce's wife Kathy says, because... He didn't want anybody coming
4: home from the bar and seeing a stove going down the street.
0: The transporting of the stove was big news at the time. It made the local paper the next day and was documented by multiple photographers. So over 50 years later, Kathy and Royce are flipping through some of those photos to help jog their memories.
4: This is us at four in the morning going east on Jefferson.
0: And it's dark, it's yeah. it's, it's like blackout.
4: And then as we move along, then it gets lighter.
0: As they moved down the streets, the utility companies used man lifts, those cranes they put people in when the power goes out, to lift up the power lines so that they could fit the stove underneath. And there were other obstacles. This is Six Mile and Woodward,
4: and we're making a right-hand turn to get onto Woodward. And the people had been told not to park, but it was Sunday morning and they were going to church, so they parked So it was difficult to make the turn, so we had to use a crane to lift our trailer to make the turn.
3: Yeah, (laughs) pick up the back
4: of the trailer and swing it over and set it down.
0: It was a slow journey.
4: I think we moved like five miles an hour Mm -hmm. because the stove was not that strong. It was already 68 years old.
0: When the sun came up and they were still on the move, the stove became a bit of a spectacle. In this simpler time, children
4: were geeked. And they, on their bikes, they would say, it's coming, it's coming. And you'd see the people going to church, it was Sunday morning, and the expressions on their face, the bewilderment, it was, it makes me get choked up. (laughs) I think we felt pretty proud.
0: After a nine hour long journey and a true team effort, the giant stove safely arrived at the Michigan State Fairgrounds. And that's where it remained for almost a decade. But the stove grew to be more than 80 years old and it started to fall apart. So in 1974, it was disassembled and moved to the Detroit Historical Museum warehouse, which of course is where John Hertel found it. And that takes us back to where we left off, with the general manager of the state fair and his staff studying the remains of the stove. John's team decided to launch an effort to restore it. And with the help of many, they were successful.
1: We actually had the stove done two days before the fair.
0: On the 150th anniversary of the fair, the stove stood covered with a gigantic tarp. The governor, the chief historian of Michigan, and a small crowd attended the ceremony.
1: The tarp came off and there it was in all its magnificent glory. It had literally been totally reborn.
0: The crowd cheered.
1: Everybody was so happy about it because so much of Michigan history and Detroit history has been lost over the years.
0: In the years after, the stove became a popular place to pose for pictures at the fair. But then, in 2010, the state fair lost funding, and the grounds closed. John Hertel no longer worked with the fair. He had moved on to work for the smart transit system. But the stove remained a personal concern of his.
1: And when I found out that the governor was going to close the fair, uh, I had just a few months to get on the phone and talk to different places where I thought the stove would be an appropriate place for the stove to go. All of those places that I'm not going to embarrass all turned the stove
0: down. John says each organization had its excuses.
1: It's too big. It'll cost us too much money to maintain it. A variety of reasons. And um, I was constantly thinking just the opposite. This would be a great thing for your institution to have, and it would be a, uh, what what we would call a draw for your institution, it would bring people to your institution. But no matter who I talked to in the Detroit metropolitan area, they all said no.
0: So, the so-called world's largest stove joined the fate of so many other Detroit structures. It became abandoned and neglected on a vacant lot. Then, on August 13th, 2011, sometime before 9 p.m., the stove was reportedly hit by lightning. Here is YouTube footage recorded by some folks who happened to drive by in their car.
2: The stove is burning. I know right it's on so fire! The State Fair stove. <laughs>
0: Inside a mass of flaming light, burns a hollow silhouette of what the giant stove once was. Oh, well, it's gone now. The world's largest stove burned to the ground. Well, not entirely. What are we looking at in here?
3: Well, you're looking at uh, 500 years of Detroit history uh, tucked under Tyvek and into uh, plastic sterilite boxes.
0: Yeah, it almost looks like a hall of I'm with curator Joel Stone at the Detroit Historical Museum's warehouse in southwest Detroit. The artifacts in this hallway are draped in Tyvek to protect them in case there's a fire and the sprinkler system goes off. There are halls and halls of history here, containing things like iron lungs, birch bark canoes, and Ford's first Mustang.
3: Hundreds of years of stuff, and we're going to go out here.
0: Joel is taking me to see the charred remains of the stove. We head outside and over to another warehouse.
3: Let me unlock the door here.
0: Inside, parts of the roof are missing, exposing the sky. Amongst gargoyles and debris, some plants have sprouted and birds are flying around. It's like we're searching through the ruins of a temple for forgotten treasure.
3: Here are some of the pieces you're looking for. I got more than I thought.
0: The bulk of the stove was incinerated, but pieces of the bottom and some extremities remain. We find them scattered around the warehouse. This is a giant leg. Oh, how, yeah. That how? Leg's as tall
3: as I am, and that's only half as tall as it really was. This is the handle off the front of the stove.
0: The handle is as long as my arm span. I can't get over the size of this thing. It's a big handle. It's the biggest (laughs) stove handle I've ever seen.
3: Well, it was a big stove.
0: Yeah, it was. John Hertel, the man who helped give the stove a second life, hopes here in Detroit, it will not be forgotten.
1: This area happens to be an area that continually invents and reinvents itself. And that's a good thing. We've done it many times, and I think we're, in some ways, in the midst of doing it again. And that's a message of hope. But it never hurts along the way to remember, while you're reinventing yourself, to remember where you came from.
0: Before Motown, before cars, before Coney's, Detroit was known for stoves. John says this particular one will not rise from the ashes. It's damaged beyond repair. But he says if someone wants to build a replica, he already has a place in mind for it. That story was produced for WDET's Beginning of the End podcast back in 2016. To my knowledge, a replica of the stove is yet to be built. But according to reporting by Detroit's Local 4 News, back in 2019, a contractor who was working on a bus station near the state fairgrounds found some charred remains of the stove that apparently didn't make it into the Detroit Historical Society's warehouse. You've been listening to Curiosity, a production of 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. We are a nonprofit public radio station that runs primarily on donations from listeners like you. I'm Laura Herberg, the executive producer and editor of this show. I want to thank Cindy Thomas for asking her question about the stove. Mastering for this episode was done by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Will Sessions. Thanks to WDET podcast manager, David Lyons, for production support. WDET's digital team is Dave Kim, Jenny Sherman, and Sophia Joswiak. Curiosity is driven by your questions. If there's something that you're curious about related to Detroit, please ask about it at WDET.org curious and you just might have it answered in a future episode.